Hey Slingers, welcome back to another week of the Word Slinger Podcast. Have you ever thought about music to accompany your books? We're talking about a musical soundtrack, a score for your books. We're going to be talking to Nick Facker, so stick around. It's the Word Slinger Podcast, where story matters. Build your brand, write your book, redefine who you are. It's all about the story here. What's yours? Now, here's the guy who invented pants optional, Kevin Tomlinson, the Word Slinger. Word Slinger. Well, I am Kevin Tomlinson, the Word Slinger. Thanks so much for swinging back around, checking in with me. Um, I hope you have enjoyed uh, your week. It is Friday where I am. It may be Friday where you are, depending on when you're tuning into this. Um, so I am chatting with author Nick Thacker, and uh, today we're we're going to talk a little bit about his uh, writing. Of course, uh, that's always part of the Words Linger podcast. But Nick's doing something kind of cool. He's started a little side business called Sonata and Scribe, and if you've been listening to the show for the about the past year. Uh, there's been a little ad for Sonata and Scribe after the guest interview segment. Uh, if you were wondering what that was, if that wasn't quite clicking for you, uh, the idea here is Nick is a composer on top of being uh, everything else. The guy is just a renaissance man, and he is composing actual scores, like film score type music for authors. He's been doing this uh, for me, for a whole bunch of other authors, and uh, some pretty cool results. So... I want to introduce you to this idea, Nick Thacker, Sonata and Scribe, and stick around after the interview. I've got some stuff I'm going to update you on uh, as far as goings on in the wordslinger world, uh, some new approaches and things I'm taking with a couple of things, you know, the usual stuff. So stick around for all the tips and tricks and that sort of thing after this interview with Nick Thacker. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, now, I've got... A good friend of mine, he's been on the show before. In fact, he was on the inaugural uh, video version of the show, even though he forgot that it was a video podcast. Uh, I'm talking to my good friend, Nick Becker, who among uh, other things, he's a, uh, he's a prolific author, uh, doing very well in that. But he's also started a new service that's aimed at helping authors uh, bring their books to life with a soundtrack, a musical soundtrack. And that is Sonata and Scribe. We're going to talk to him about that today. Welcome to the show again, Nick. Thank you, thank you. It's always so awkward to introduce you uh, because we spend we generally spend like the first thirty minutes before the show talking, and we know each other so well that it's a little awkward introducing you sometimes. Well, it's some, it's usually awkward to be introduced. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was a good well, one, though. You did great. Thanks, man. All right, so, so let's. Uh, we've talked about your work before, uh, and I do not remember which episode that was, and I should have taken note of it and didn't, uh, just like I never do. Um, you've been on the show a couple of times, actually, but this is the first time we've had a chance. Now, uh, anyone who's uh, who was paying close attention to uh, uh, my recent, uh, by now it would have been dozens of episodes, I hope, but uh, people paying attention may have noticed an advertisement embedded in the uh, show for Sonata and Scribe. So this is, this is the big reveal that you're the mastermind behind that. Tell me a little about the uh, service. Yeah, um, it, it's, well, just like you introduced, it's soundtracks for books. Um, and, I, and most people think that's audiobooks. You know, so they immediately think, oh, cool, you're doing the, you know, the orchestral sound bed behind the, the narrator. Um, and not necessarily. It's, 
it's just music inspired by someone's book or series. And um, that could be used for an audiobook. that could be used for an upsell, you know, a CD, an album that they can sell with the book. Um, but the point is, it's the author owns that um, as, a, as another product line for their business. So yeah. I've got a couple authors who are doing that um, with, you know, it's not inscribed now. And they're putting them on Spotify, iTunes, uh, Napster, all, all the different streaming services, as well as um, creating CDs that they can sell for sell to their fans and everything as well. Yeah. And I definitely need to do this. Uh, you've told me about this and I keep forgetting. I need to talk to you about putting that, the tracks you did for me on uh, Spotify. Yes. Because yeah. that is another way. If you include some cool, some related artwork, that sort of thing, a little description, that's just one more way of marketing your book. Right. Right. And, um, you know, you were the first person I even approached about this concept uh, back, you know, a couple of years ago. And it was kind of born out of this idea. Um, you know, I, I have a degree in, in composition and music. Um, in, in college, I got a lot of this technology, a lot of the sound sample libraries, all this stuff that I just didn't really ever use after school. Yeah. And so I think we were brainstorming about something at one point and I said, you know what, it'd be really fun to just make a soundtrack or make a song that is inspired by, um, you know, book character and right. of course, one of your guy, Dan Kotler. And so I, I pitched it to you. You were all, you know, all gung ho about it. And I still owe you that whole album, but I've, I've done a couple, a uh, couple little tracks here and there for you as kind of, yeah. I don't push. I don't push. Well, the other guys are paying me a little more, so you know. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I know. They're paying you more. I mean, they're not they're not cheaping out on you and giving you free advertising or anything. No, so. <laughs> no, they would never do that. They would never do that. No, but it's so no, I've been uh I tease, but I mean the 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 stuff you've done for me has been uh pretty incredible and I um you know, I know the value of this stuff, so I don't That's why I don't push. Sure. Um but the What's interesting about it, I mean, I, 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 well, first of all, you're not reading the books to get an idea of this, are you? Are you? Are you? I am actually. Yeah, that's, that's kind of uh, for me. That was sort of a it was so. What am I trying to say? A, a crit, critical, <laughs> critical aspect. Crucial, of, crucial, and critical. Crucial, crucial. We're gonna cr uh, we're gonna mash those together. <laughs> crucial aspect of uh, of starting this whole thing was um, what I what I do when I pitch an author. This whole idea is um, I, I go through what. I'm going to do. And that starts with the idea um, of, of knowing their characters, their settings, their themes, um, hopefully uh, not as deeply as the author would, of course, but, but like their biggest fan would. Yeah. Um, because the way that I compose this stuff is um, using a, a, a technique called layout motif. And it's what John Williams does. There's, you know, the Luke and Leia theme uh, from Star Wars. There's Darth Vader's theme. Uh, Indiana Jones has his own theme. So there's this re recurring motive that goes through um, a soundtrack, a, a film score, and different characters come and go. And we know that that character is going to come on screen because we hear it, you know, ominous in the background, for example. Mm -hmm. um, so I wanted to create that with the characters in a book because they are every, every bit as fleshed out and dynamic as someone in a movie. Um, and so in order to do that and to do it well, I have to read the book. I have to know inherently who that character is what they're like um, what they what they would sound like if they were um, music uh, and then I, I, I do what I call discovery composition where I sit down at a piano or a guitar and I just kind of bang out some ideas some themes there's no orchestration um, it just strips back all the effects it's just me and a piano 
and I'm playing a little bit and, and trying to capture that, that feel for that character or that setting or whatever it is. And then I'll send that to the author and, and we go back and forth with it. And if, if they love it, we go with it. If they don't love it, we fix it. Um, so yeah. it's, it's a very, you know, back and forth, um, you know, kind of a co process. Uh, for how, us. how long is it taking you to do each, uh, composition? Well, um, you know, uh, it, if I were just to do one composition for an author, that's, that's going to take longer than if I were to do, um, you know, a whole album, or I guess I should say, um, each, each track on that album is going to take less time because right. that first track that we build, um, is going to be a template. So it's going to have, um, the orchestra, if you will, that, uh, is, is that we're going to use. So if there's a specific piano sound we like, or a harp or a violin, um, that's going to be the same violin throughout the whole album to give it continuity. So building that first track takes the longest and it's anywhere from probably 40 to 60 hours of, of, just hard time working with that yeah. from discovery composition consultations back and forth. Um, you know, I'm not even, I'm not including the time it takes to read the book. Um, yeah. But once we get that template built, that orchestra, then uh, it's, it's a lot easier to go to the next song because we don't have to rebuild that entire template, mm -hmm. uh, which does take quite a bit of time loading it up and giving the instruments organized in the right spots in the orchestra, panned out all that kind of stuff. Now, are you keying certain tracks to like certain scenes in the books? I am. Yeah. One of the um, authors I'm working with is uh, Michael Cooper. He writes um, hard science fiction and he's got this fantastic series called the out system. And so he gave me his first book um, and told me, you know, Hey, I want some themes for these, you know, these specific characters in here. And as I was reading the book, I was taking notes and marking down, great ideas for fight scenes. And so there's, you know, one track that I've got called Maglev to Hell. Mm -hmm. And it's a scene from the book where the Maglev is coming onto this, you know, th th that goes around the ship is coming to this ballroom where they're having a party. And then there's this giant fight scene that breaks out. And um, yeah, so there, you know, there's Marines that appear in the book and they're, they're apparently a major character later on in the series as well. So he wanted that to be one of the main themes. Um, and they're called the 242. So when they come on scene, I sort of imagine underscoring that scene in a movie and then that music is what ends up on the track. On yeah. The track. I mean, I was going to, uh, there are obviously going to be parallels uh, between this and, and scoring for film um, and some differences of course, of course. but uh, is this, are there ambitions there? Like is your ambition to eventually score for, for uh, film and TV? Uh, I would love to. Uh, I, I, I way back in high school, I decided I was going to go to school for music because I wanted to be a film score composer, um, not knowing anything about the industry. And I still don't. Um, I just think it'd be a lot of fun. So I don't know that I'm, I'm going to be making a career shift and, and head, you know, in the trajectory leading me toward, you know, Hollywood and, and film music and all that. But I would certainly hope uh, that I get better and better. And as my skills develop and, you know, uh, repertoire builds that um, someone out there may say, you know what, we, we can't afford John Williams, but this guy, Nick Thacker over here could probably handle a, a you know, an indie film. I don't know, man. As <laughs> demand rises for this stuff, you, uh, you may get up to John Williams money and then they can't afford you either. <laughs> well, that's right. You know, John Williams has like 50 years on me. So yeah. perhaps when he's, uh, he's long gone, I'll be, uh, I'll be an 80 year old, um, composer. And one. <laughs> I, I think, I think this is good though, uh, as a, a sort of audition, for the uh, first scoring film, you know, I mean, I say audition, that really kind of downplays it. I mean, you are doing the exact same work. So it's kind of a, a nice portfolio 
on a lower budget for, uh, you know, in, in a sense, you know, you're not having to go out and find films that are, that right. have multi-million dollar budgets. You can do this with, uh, with authors who, you know, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's sort of an in-between step. If I were to just compose music and release it, uh, as, as a lot of composers do as any, any singer songwriter would do, yeah. um, you know, that may or may not ever be discovered, but this is a middle step between that and, and an actual film. Yeah. where I've got content and source material that hopefully um, works well with the book. So as that director out there reads that book and, and hears the soundtrack, they'll think, oh, well, I, he's actually really good at, at doing that, hopefully. Yeah. We'll and as a discovery tool, it's not, it's not just a discovery tool for the author. It's a discovery tool for you as well. Like Absolutely. your name is on those tracks you right. know, as a right. composer. That's pretty impressive, man. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I know uh, we've talked about this a lot. Um, you know, between us. Uh, but it is, I, I don't know if I've ever conveyed to you just how impressive I think the whole thing is. Uh, and, you know, it's a skill set I don't have. I know one of those. This is the only, it's, it's like the one, the one yeah. skill set. <laughs> it's one. like between the two of us, it's like, which the is why I had to do it because, yeah, between the two of us, it was the only thing that you couldn't do. So that's all right, man. I've started, I've started uh, taking like the, uh, the master classes and stuff. I'm, uh, I'm going to catch up. I'm going to be a composer. Yeah. I can already play chopsticks and I'm there. there you go. And that's pretty much all my, my stuff is. That has emotion. I mean, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it moves me. Um, <laughs> it's all in the rhythm, you know, right. people, so many people want to rush into chopsticks. No, no. It's like, it's like, it's like seducing a woman. You got to come at chopsticks slow and with intention. I, I sense this podcast <laughs> in a direction I we're about sure. to, I, I may want to get there, but I may not. I don't know. <laughs> we may, I may, I may be earning my E for explicit <laughs> on, uh, on iTunes. So, um, so you've got, so does it take any special, uh, you know, software, hardware, you know, what, what do you got that, or am I, are we giving away trade secrets if we talk? No, about no, 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 uh, it does. Um, so the, the, the basic workstation is called the digital audio workstation. Um, a lot of people have these bundled on, bundled on their computer, um, you know, like Logic Pro. Actually, I don't know that that comes with Mac anymore, but um, I use the Logic Pro 10. Um, I've just, I've been in, in that world for a long time. Yeah. When I was interning in a recording studio, we used Pro Tools on a Mac. And so I'm familiar with that as well. But, you know, they're all, they're all kind of the same thing. They do the same sort of stuff. Cubase, Fruity Loops, um, Ableton Live. Um, the whole point though is that's your digital mixing console. You know, if you picture like a, a mixing board with the faders and everything, um, that's that's what it is. It's software version of that. Yeah. And then uh, the other component is MIDI. Um, you know, music interface, music musical instrument digital interface. So that we all know MIDI. We know what it sounds like because we all uh, were a product of the '80s and we heard that music. So we know kind of that synthy <laughs> sort of sound right. is typically what's associated with MIDI music. Um, but these days, MIDI is really just um, an avenue to get, you know, something on a, a, a digital keyboard that, you know, interfaces with your digital audio workstation through USB, for example, mm -hmm. gets that music into the computer. And once it's in the computer, um, there are what, what are called sound sample libraries, um, orchestral libraries, guitar libraries, whatever, you know, they cost a lot of money. But like I said, we've got a lot of those at school and I've, I've kind of just been purchasing them ever since. Um, and so you have these real recordings of instruments playing every single note um, in every single key all the way up and down different, you know, styles and different ways of playing, you know, violin, you get staccato, spiccato, uh, marcato, all these different bowings and things. 
um, you can imagine what in an immense effort it takes to record those. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, they have different mic positions even, you know, they've got a deca tree set up in the back or a really close mic on the violin. Um, and so you can mix all these things and, and get the actual violin sound that you want. And the best part is it's played by a real person, mm-hmm. um, just one note at a time. And so the way that these, pro- these um, libraries are programmed makes it possible to actually play a keyboard that sounds exactly like a real violin because it is a real, it's real violin samples being played. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's phenomenal stuff. Um, you know, I, I don't take any credit for building any of that stuff. Of course, what I do is I just take the products of all those libraries and then mix and match them together and, until you have a whole orchestra sound yeah. and throw a guitar on top of it or drums I mean, you get it with any instrument you want mouth, you know, mouth harp, <laughs> anything. Yeah. 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 That's cool, man. I, I'm, I'm looking for a banjo rendition of, uh, They've got banjo, yeah. Soundtrack. <laughs> we'll we'll have to do that. I know, man. I've seen. I mean, I I've kind of played around with these sound libraries. You know, um, I I'm one of those people that collects that stuff anyway. I don't know how to use all of it, but I want it. Uh, so because I can play around with it, maybe experiment and learn something. But I've been the I, same way. I I've collected that stuff for so many years, and I knew a little bit about how to use it. But mm-hmm. most of my um, uh, training was in you know composition and something like finale, where I'm actually writing notes on staff paper. And um, so I I didn't really know what to do with all this, but I had it and I was always just living in perpetual frustration that I, I wasn't taking advantage of it. So that's where this whole Sonata and Scribe idea came from. I thought, you know, instead of having this just be a hobby, what if I actually launch something that sort of forces me to learn how to do this and and get good enough at it that I can sell it to people? Yeah. Cause Um, you're, that's another way you and I are alike is that we, if we want to learn something, we, we build a business around it. Exactly. I wonder if I could charge people to paint their offices. Uh, <laughs> waste, waste this, this energy and skill set on, on something. Yeah. That's like me in the RV, man. I go yeah. and I, you know, I spent all day Saturday repairing a bunch of stuff in the RV. We're fixing the refrigerator, the windshield wipers. There was a bunch of little things that all went wrong at one time. And by the time I'm done, I'm like, you know, I could, I could, I could repair people's RVs yeah. or better yet, I'll just build RVs. There you go. Better RVs. So yeah. (laughs) So I'm guessing the next Kotler book is going to be a little bit late to market. Um, Yeah, 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 yeah. It's already a little late to market because of the moving and you know transitioning. But that's right. You guys move every other weekend. Every other every couple of weeks, we we pick up house and move. You know what you should do is get some kind of house that just moves with you, so that you wouldn't. Oh, never mind. You already have one. You still like. (laughs) I thought it was going to be the end of it. I really did. I thought, all right, how much better can it get? We live in a house that can <laughs> change with addresses. <laughs> right, right. That's when I really needed the soundtrack, brother. Because mm-hmm. then I could have that cranking while we go down the road and, and all this inspiration that comes in, I, you know, it would have a soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's that's kind of what we, want, what we want to do with this whole thing, man. It's It's maybe the the author themselves get inspired by the music and then that changes how they write the next book in the series yeah um, just, I, guys the limit man it's it's just i know plenty of authors who write to a specific soundtrack anyway um you know who you know some people play any kind of music or a certain type of music but there are some people who have a, a soundtrack that they right. play over and over again <clears throat> and, my uh, books end up um you know i start by like pandora i use spotify something like that uh, a radio station around Hans Zimmer or John Williams or Harry Potter soundtrack or whatever yeah. the specific thing may be. And then by the you know middle of the book, I've sort of honed that playlist down to, to five or 10 specific songs that sound like that book. 
mm-hmm. you know, but they're all five different songs from five different composers and, and they don't, you know, match. And so um, that's kind of what, what I wanted to do is take that next step and say, what if, what if that sound was consistent throughout an entire album, um, that same guitar sound, that same vocal, that same yeah. bass drum or whatever it is. Um, and it, it, it's the same themes, but different keys and things are morphing and changing anyway, you know. So keeping the themes, that's, that's one aspect of this. Well, the thing about like say a Harry Potter soundtrack or the Star Wars soundtrack or, you know, um, a lot of the popular films, uh, some of them have what I would consider iconic soundtracks. Like yes. You, yes. you can hear a couple of notes and you know, that's Harry Potter, that's Star Wars, that's Indiana Jones. Um, and that's not true of every film soundtrack. I mean, there's, there are plenty of themes that don't stick with you like that, that aren't recognizable like that. Do you, what do you think the secret is uh, for that? Are you, are you attempting to build that with each soundtrack? I'm attempting to do the, the, the first thing, the former, you know, where I want to have iconic, easily recognizable chunks of music. Uh, and right. those are called melodies, right? And uh, that's what kind of the leitmotif thing is. It, it implies melody. It's some harmonic and, and rhythmic structure as well. But um, it's a piece of music that's immediately recognizable. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Harry Potter, yeah. right? We, we know what that, that's seven, eight notes, you know, but we know exactly what it is. Um, I want to do that. The challenge is I don't have, you know, a, a movie playing where I can get away with just doing long extended periods of, of or- orchestra chords. Uh-huh. Um, if I uh-huh. do that in a soundtrack for, for an author, they listen to that and it's four minutes of, of just, you know, barely moving orchestral beds. Right. It gets a little boring really quickly. So what I have to do is take that Harry Potter theme, for example, and morph it and, and work it and change it and keep it going and then move it back to, you know, and modulate and all this, all these different things um, and make it last four minutes for one track. And then I have to do that same thing 12 times for, you know, all the tracks in the album. So it becomes a, a pretty big chore, honestly, because, um, it's composing symphonic material in in a sense where you've got a theme, you recapitulate the theme, then you have a different movement of that theme, maybe in three, four, or six, eight, um, and then you know, and then back to the the original statement of the theme, um, over and over and over and over again. And I don't have the luxury of underscoring um, a dialogue scene where there's two people talking on camera, and all I need in the background is something going hum, right? Yeah, yeah. So it, Anyway, so there's some little issues like that that I didn't realize I would run into. Um, I'm hoping that I'm solving them well. I like what I've come up with, and there are certainly ways I can, um, you know, give some more space between some of those leitmotif elements so that it mm-hmm. it does give it some some breadth and some some openness. Um, but I, I certainly don't want to just put down, you know, a quarter or two and and make that last for four minutes because that's not really going to be something people want to listen to. Yeah, yeah. Um... So what about ownership? Like, do you retain any, any uh, part of this person's uh, intellectual property? Or is it, I mean, is it your intellectual property and they're getting to use it? How does it work on that? So I'm not licensing. Um, what I am doing, though, with the first two authors um, is I, I just wrote this. They're, they're paying me up front and I gave them, them the music. They own it outright. Mm-hmm. They don't have to even put Sonata and Scribe on it when they release it. They don't have to give me any credit for it. Um, they, they are just because they're cool, but they don't have to. And I told them that, um, that's not how I want the business to run long-term. That was just more of a sales pitch to get off the ground. These, these two guys uh, that I'm talking about, Michael Enderle and Michael uh, Cooper are pretty well-known authors in the indie community. And so my goal was by having these guys on board, 
um, I would benefit from their success in the indie, indie space. Um, they know some pretty big name authors as well. Um, going forward, what I want to do is set up a structure just like any um, uh, music publishing company does with, with its authors through, you know, ASCAP, BMI, um, SASAC, these performing rights organizations um, will we'll set up some structure so that, you know, like with your soundtrack, for example, what we could do is you own it, you can do whatever you want with it, you can sell it however you want. Um, but when you stream it, or when you make a sale or something, you know, there's a 50-50 royalty split, for mm -hmm. example, um, so I would get that back. Um, that's all negotiable, of course, because I still, again, there's, there's a lot of expense and, and time and energy that I have to put in up front. Um, so I usually will, will still want to get paid uh, a lump sum before yeah. or after or the middle, whatever, so that that 50 50 split can go maybe 60 40 in favor of the author or whatever. But that's all negotiable. But yeah, going forward, there definitely will be um, some sort of licensing arrangement with the author so that they know, you know, hey, I'm not going to ever tell you you can't sell this. Um, I just want you to pay the royalties to the composer, to the to the artist uh, that this track was, was created by. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I could see that as is a great way to offset um, the overhead of it too, uh, for the author at least. Exactly. Uh, being able to kind of recoup that investment, you know. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's and that's, that's cool. the kind I, of, I always. Oh, sorry. I, I was gonna say I always pitch it to them as, um, you know, look, this isn't something where, um, it's it's most likely you're gonna make a bunch of money back. Mm -hmm. um, this isn't like releasing a new book and you're gonna have a ton of sales. This is sort of a a slow, long term, long tail. Um, arrangement where you know you may make the money back that you spent but it's really more about um it's almost a vanity play in some ways right it's 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 a soundtrack for your book that's just really yeah. cool yeah yeah um, but, but i, I do say you know these guys are sales masters and so they're gonna yeah. they're, they're selling their their albums and they'll probably make a ton of money doing it i mean I, I do see it though as a as really a potential uh additional revenue stream like you can you know maybe it's not going to make a ton but even if it brought a trickle let's just say it brought 10 bucks a month you right. know i mean that's 10 bucks you didn't have and uh you'll eventually over over vast amounts of time you would eventually cover the entire overhead of the of the song of the exactly. track yeah. so yeah. yeah yeah i think i think that's great man i mean i it's, so my favorite kind of of investments are the ones that you know uh, if i'm going to invest in a service of some kind uh i like those that give me an immediate return or give me at least a, a bigger potential return you know Absolutely. yeah and you can't measure that as easily with things i mean you know you, you know if you buy a good cover for your book you know you're gonna you recoup your investment uh but it's not as measurable right, right. <laughs> you know right. it's a little bit of an indirect um return right with something like this i mean it's an actual tangible product i mean it's digital it lives in your computer but um it doesn't have to be you can print cds with it you can print eight tracks if that's your your jam um, yeah. whatever you want to do and then you can sell those and make money doing it and it's going to live forever <laughs> you're so venerable I, <laughs> must we work this into every single interview every must time. the word venerable be applied <laughs> to me in every single interview it, it, must. it must all right yeah no i that's exactly right i think um the idea of your your you're investing not just, it's not, you, you, you call it out as kind of a vanity thing. I don't think that's quite right, man. I don't think that does it justice. I mean, in part it is, you know, in part it's like buying um, a poster of your book cover, you know, uh, it's just right. a memento or something for you. Um, but this has 
a great deal of reach beyond that because of services like Spotify and uh, iHeartRadio and you know these services that are out there that allow you to put these these uh, tracks and an entire album out there uh, and you can get paid per play or you can actually sell an entire album put it on iTunes and sell it there as well I mean it, so you've got now something you can market to your um, readers uh, put it in every book you know mention it Mm-hmm. expand your experience you know right. that's exactly how i approach it but then you got the sort of stumble upon traffic discoverability goes up yep i, I love it that's the kind of a perfect product really well, you- uh, thanks and, and i agree with you it's it's certainly not just a vanity play i said that mostly because um it's not a cheap thing it's not it's not like as inexpensive as buying a poster yeah or having a, a cover created for your book i mean we're we're talking thousands of dollars here for a full album Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's just what it costs. I mean, it's expensive. I had to, obviously the training aside, I had to put a lot of time and effort into getting everything right. 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 Um, and it's still, you know, ongoing with both these guys, even though one of them is mostly done, we're still going back and forth about tweaks and changes and things like that. But anyway, so this isn't something, you know, that the, the, the brand new one book under their belt author is going to probably want to be able to want to do. Mm-hmm. I want them to do it because I make money doing it, of course. But it's really not best for them because they don't have that audience built up where they could make a return by selling right. it to their fans, you know? So in that case, it would be more of a vanity play, but you're absolutely yeah. right for authors that are a little more established. that have got some fan base that just want a little bit more out of that universe. This is brilliant because they, they can give that to them in an easily digestible chunk of music mm-hmm. that they can take everywhere and listen or read and listen or just read and think about the music and come back to it later, whatever, you know? Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I think this is something that once you've got a platform, it's, it's an essential to add to your arsenal, just like an audio book, just like, you know, just like different versions of your book. In a sense, this is a musical version of your book. Absolutely. That's what I'm yeah. trying to trying to accomplish there. These are your I characters swear. This is what they sound like. If they were on the big silver screen, this is what they would have underscored. Next, next we got to get somebody who comes along and says, I'm, I'm starting a business Built, making movies out of your books. <laughs> Those already exist. It's just really, really hard to get them to pay attention to us. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah, that, that industry. So that's cool, man. So what's the, what, is, what are sort of the uh, plans uh, going forward? What do you got in mind? Well, what's the um, future of this look like? You know, I started this whole thing as an idea. Uh, like I said, it was a glorified hobby. I wanted to feel better about wasting time learning this kind of composition. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel pretty good about this now. I, I feel like this is something authors want, um, yeah. even if they're not at the point where they could afford it right now, this is something that's on their radar. I'm the only one doing it. I think that's kind of neat. There's a first to market thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but quite honestly, my goal isn't to, you know, blow this up into some massive, um, marketplace like audiobook creation exchange or, you know, I, I have some ideas that, that it might be fun to bring on some other composers and we can, we can do more albums at once than just one or two or three. Um, but for me, you know, I'm, I'm solidly committed to being an author first. Um, that's, that's, what's given me the ability to go full time. Um, that's what I want to do. And so that's, that's where my, my main focus is going to be. So, you know, that said, I, I want to continue to do this. I want to work with authors and and make soundtracks come to life because it's just a, I gotta be, it's just a blast. It's just super fun. Um, but I'll probably keep it at this point, you know, low key enough so that I, I I'm only, you know, working with maybe one or two authors at once or, or yeah. actively working on one, you know, composition at once. Yeah. Um, that's, that's kind of like me in the book descriptions. Yeah, exactly. It's the same yeah. thing with book descriptions. It's not, 
it's not a, not really related to your fiction writing um, directly, and so it's right. a completely different switch of of headspace for you. Just just do kind of a referral only, um, you know. Yeah, yeah. Keep it, keep it yeah, limited. I to... I don't know that I'll be taking out a bunch of Facebook ads at, at this point, mostly because I... I have no idea how to target authors on Facebook, but. <laughs> When I do, that, that might be Whoa. where I start. But. <laughs> <Whoa>. um, <laughs> so, okay, you brought it back around to, to uh, authors. Um, so what about your books, man? Are you, you, are, uh, you, you still keeping up? You still doing – is writing um, books still a big important thing to Nick Thacker? It's, it's the most important thing for sure uh, when it comes to my professional life. Um, I am definitely not keeping up, though. I had plans on uh, releasing – uh, you know, somewhere around three or four books by now this year, and I've released yeah. a whole zero. Yeah. Uh, one, if you can consider the one that I wrote in October and re-released, um, you know, I guess that's one. But uh, I was in Hawaii for six months. I was working with a friend at his church uh, part-time, uh, just helping out with some music stuff. And yeah. of course, the Sonata Inscribed thing blew up. And then we were in Hawaii. So I wasn't going to just waste that opportunity to go to the beach right. uh, and drink beer on the sand. So I slowed down a little bit, but I was able to um, use kind of that, that mentality to, of just not forcing myself to write so fast and, and release poorer versions of books than I could um, mm -hmm. to build the business side so that I, I, I'm able to maintain my income based on you know, ad spend every month. So even though I haven't released a book and that normally would be a, um, a huge you know, problem for my business, um, in six months, it's been, it's been great. My income's been very steady. It's been, mm -hmm. um, what I want and wanted it to be. Um, and I'm, you know, still have plans to release a couple books by the end of the year. And, and hopefully those are going to be better books than anything I've released in the last year. Yeah. Yeah, man. Here's hoping. Eh, it'll go that way. <laughs> it'll go that way. We're in the same boat. I didn't get to go to Hawaii, but we're in the same boat as far as, uh, delays and uh things got put off and everything i'm doing i love there's not a single thing i'm doing that i i said you know i wish i didn't have to do this i wish this wasn't how i would spend all my days yeah. um i am literally living the dream the, the yeah. dream that i had for myself that my family had you know was what if we didn't have to be in a specific place because of work in a specific you know job right going to five and i loved my job that i had at the church but you know it's just it's something it's pretty cool to be able to move around the world and live wherever we want to um, based on, on writing books and doing yeah. jobs here. And there. I mean, you've got, let's just face it. We're pretty, we're pretty blessed all around. We you and I do tend to complain to each other about, you know, these little niggling little things that come up and, you know, uh, we, we sometimes um, have to be each other's catch, you know, on that. But the truth is, I mean, you know, so let's just rewind. I mean, you spent six months in Hawaii. Uh, you started a whole new business that immediately took off and had uh, willing and paying customers. You, your book sales have maintained despite not having released a book in six months. I mean, come on. How much better can it really get? You can be anywhere and do anything. This is a, we've got yeah. a pretty good life, man. But Andy Weir got to make a movie out of his book. Yeah, Andy Weir. I've talked to Andy Weir. He's no big thing. Ernest Klein got to make a movie out of his book. Yeah, where are they now? That's what Michael I'm. Cray that's... Michael Creighton's dead, and they're still making movies out of his book. <laughs> that dude gets more. That dude gets a new series on TV like every week. <laughs> like, what? 
Like, where are they coming? You can't keep publishing this? posthumous stuff because he's not writing anything they, else. They've it's got him. They, they have Michael Crichton hooked up to, like, some sort of automatic writing machine. Oh, and he's, his spirit is just cranking out more scripts. I'll tell you what, man. We just saw Jurassic World, the new one, and that was really good. And I thought... Was it? Yeah, it was great. It was. Just, I was like, I want to make that. I want that to be my franchise, right? Like, just... If I'm dead and gone, I want people to make movies after books that I wrote a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've been holding off on, on Jurassic World too. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. Something about the, I just, I have this, I over empathize when it comes to any animal digital or otherwise being uh, abused or hurt or whatever. And there was a whole, there was a scene with the, the blue Raptor yep. Yep. in the preview that just, broke my heart like i couldn't i'm like i can't i can't i can't do and it you know you know you may be better off waiting and there are, there are definitely some scenes that are kind of heartbreaking you're like how why am i empathizing with this fake creature this thing that doesn't even exist you know like that's that's power that's that's the power of storytelling man it was good though i mean for that reason like it was it was real it was very good yeah and that's what uh that's part of the part of the, part of what makes that happen is the soundtrack of the of the film the score of the film i was just gonna say i mean there's there's movies that i'll watch and i'll look at my wife and say that wasn't very good but everything about it was great it just wasn't scored very well and and yeah. if it was changed it would be a you know a box office success i yeah i don't think anyone else ever notices that or says that or if they notice it they don't say anything there's never any reviewers who say well you know if the soundtrack was better this movie would have been perfect mm -hmm. but i think it's it's so much more powerful than we give it credit for yeah See, that's like, the you know, Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, it's the soundtrack, yeah. and, and 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 of course, um, Johnny Depp's character. That's the entire movie. But they punctuate everything Johnny Depp does in those films exactly. with that score. Exactly. Like every movie makes has a piano tank or you know, mm -hmm. some odd little sound accompanying. And I think um, it's interesting. It's interesting what you mentioned there is kind of the curse of anybody who does something. Um, works in production in some way authors notice flaws in books easier than most people sure. uh filmmakers notice flaws in editing and, and the cut that, and lighting and that sort of thing musicians are going to notice flaws in the music it's it just comes down it, right. it does we should probably be aware that our specialization causes us to see things that way sure that's a good point <laughs> because yeah. other people may not see it that way so. that's true that's absolutely true i've always watched movies um and, and just put a lot more emphasis on the music than I think the, the movie maker intended, you know? Um, it's invisible to me. Yeah. The music is most of the time completely invisible to me. Yes. Which, because right. I'm not a musician. So. Right. Right. It pains me to even say that, man. I have to be the best at all the things. <laughs> you know, a little piece of me died inside when you said that. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I just lost Half the half the people who ever thought I was worth anything That's just right. stepped right off. They're I like, mean, "Nope, he's a fraud." Right. It just confirms all my inner angst. Kevin That's is a fraud. That's right. <laughs> Can't take you seriously now. No, I know. I know. I might as well be wearing an arrow through my head and a big red nose. That's right. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so uh, okay, that's cool, man. I'm glad. We, I'm glad we caught up on your. Uh, on your uh on the writing on the music uh what about podcasting man whatever happened didn't you used to have a show at some yeah, point yeah I, I, it seems like you'd remember it a little bit better um 
I think you were you were involved with yeah you were actually you were like one of the guys that co-hosted it so <laughs> I, I always I, feel I, bad I only take one third of the blame for that yeah no I'm I take two thirds of the blame for that I, I definitely it's, it was I take three thirds of the blame it was my fault um I kept having kids basically yeah and, you kept having kids you know I kept having I, kids I kept and, selling homes and moving into new you kept moving apartments. into new ones even though you already have a house on the <laughs> um I I liked the podcast but what I liked about it was talking to you guys and just having yeah. a weekly, um, you know, discussion and, and chat and, you know, making fun of each other, whatever it was. Yeah. And so for me, it was a huge, not huge, but it was more of a production burden that I wanted or needed at that point yeah. uh, to get the thing produced and released and kept up with and promoted and all that. And so I just kind of shuddered it because it, you know, it, it was, I wanted the discussion part without the stress of it has to be at this time, this hour and yeah. this, format and you know um besides that i just i got to the point where I, I didn't feel like i was contributing anything anymore to the indie space um that'll change and i think that's kind of already changed because i'm in a different place in my author career that i think i could contribute again um but i just felt like i was regurgitating the same stuff i'd already said a thousand times yeah um or i don't know how many 62 63 episodes i feel like i'd said it all and so um if I hadn't said it, somebody else did in a better way on another podcast because there's a thousand indie podcasts like that. So yeah. that was kind of part of it for me was just, you know what? You guys are, are better at this podcasting stuff than I am. You you go do your podcast and don't let me hold you back. Yeah. I, I, I really feel like uh, the only thing that's kept, one of the biggest things that's kept this show going was the interview format because totally. it's not me constantly trying to come up with something new to tell the audience. I'm, you know, I talk to people who are, yeah smarter than me who are more successful than me who i haven't met any of those people but you've met plenty of those people i haven't met any of those Uh, people but i I will say man you are a phenomenal interviewer i always feel like i can show up unprepared i try not to um today i'm unprepared i was painting a room and forgot this whole thing was video but um (laughs) I, i feel like i can show up unprepared because you're such a good interviewer you're going to navigate that discussion in a way that's just going to flow and make sense and be you know great so well, I appreciate that, man. I knew that's why you had me on, so I could just blow smoke. Yeah, but no, I mean, I'm venerable, so <laughs> I need younger people. You yeah, you need that <laughs> to uh, to step right. up and remind me to wear pants. Um, yeah, no, I yeah, I appreciate that, man. I yeah, I I miss our um, I kind of miss our podcast in a way, but it, I think I miss it for the same reasons that yeah, uh, no, I don't uh, feel like mentioned. the space is missing our voice. I think it's just we are missing our voices, you know, we yeah, want to yeah. hang out and talk. So we can still do that. We'll have to do a reunion show sometime, get the band back together. That'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be fun. We'll see. And maybe I can score the background music. We still got the same exact challenges we had when the whole thing started to kind of unravel. Anyway, everyone's got their own schedule, got their own thing going. Right. You know, nobody's really free to, to do this at a regular time. So well, no, in a way that's a good thing though. Cause none of us planned on being less busy. Yeah. As, as we got, you know, older. <laughs> yeah. More yeah. Although I think Justin now um, is uh, his schedule is a lot like my schedule. Like we're both pretty, I think you are too, really. I think we're both, we're all three at a point where we could probably do this in a lot, in a lot more fluid motion than we did. You think so? Yeah. First time. But um, that's not me. That's not me making a bid for us to revive it, honestly. Uh, <laughs> like in your show, you're pitching a whole different show. So yeah careful there though which is what i tend to do man yeah. that's what i tend to do i um and you know i i love so i i the joke the running gag really and kara's tired of hearing this um every week 
for four days out of five, I complain that maybe I should rethink Wordslinger podcast. Maybe I should just close it, close it down, just end the show. Then I do the episode on Friday, and I walk out and say, man, I, I'm so glad I did that. I'm so glad I have the show as a platform, as a way to connect with people. You know, or someone will send me an email or someone will call, leave me a voicemail or something along those lines. And, you know, now I remember why I do it. So, there you go. Well, that's but good. It, the show is so much work. It's like, you know, it is so much work. <laughs> yeah. Adding the video component to it, I'm sure it doesn't yeah. help. Um, yeah. We got it all figured out though. though. I just did the, uh, I told, I've told you this, but uh, no one else has heard this yet, but you know, um, I don't know when this one will air, but uh, if you're listening out there, the first reformed show went up last week i made changes that are supposed to get this whole thing down to about an hour it's supposed to take me about an hour to produce both versions of the show took me three solid days (laughs) because of the things i did that that made it easier well yeah but you mean you're self-employed so your your days are like 15 minutes long so that's true yeah 45 minutes it took a human 45 minutes Anyway, so we're, we're at time, man. Um, so where, first up, where can people find uh, Sonata and Scribe online? Well, the website is the best place. It's really the only place at this point. Uh, we do have a Facebook page, but the website's probably the, the, the best place for, uh, if, if you're an author interested in pricing and, you know, what it, what it entails, go there. Uh, sonataandscribe.com, uh, plain and simple. And if you uh, happen to find us over on the Facebook page, uh, give it a like and, and there's, listen to some, some of the tracks that we've done. Um, I do have tracks. I guess we forgot to get into that, but I've got tracks. That we've oh, we, we got some, we got a little bit of time. You want to play? Yeah, let's play. We one. don't have to, if you want no, to. No, let's do it. We got, a bit of one, we got but... a couple of minutes. Let's, let's play, let's play uh, a little bit. Let's not play a whole track. because No, four no, no. Yeah, I won't do the whole track. <laughs> but I'll, 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 do I'll do this. This is um, Michael Cooper's um, main character. Her name is Tannis. She's a, like a space Marine, you know, super awesome, badass lady. So, um, her theme was really tricky for me because I wanted it to be something that was in some way like elegant and, and heroic, um, but at the same time, just badass and, and sound really cool. So I used instrumentation that I think would make it sound really badass and namely a electric guitar wailing really high up the fretboard. Um, but for the melody, since the whole series is set in space, as far as I can tell, and planets and all that stuff that aren't Earth, um, I thought, how funny would it be if the melody is actually um, the old song "Blue Skies"? Blue skies smiling at me, nothing but blue skies. Do I see right? Yeah. So that's sort of the melody that I used for Tannis, and, and tweaked it a little bit so I don't get sued. Um, but that comes out a little bit, and and this song, this is track six on his album, and it's just called Tannis. This is her main theme. This is sort of the whole everything culmination of now we know who this character is. So I'll, I'll okay. share the screen here and, and play a little bit of this. Yeah. Cue it up. And uh, we'll see what everybody thinks. All yeah. Right. Got that. You see it. I see it. Let's. All right. Let's give it a play here.
Oh man, we, we, we're going to learn how to fade it out. But yeah, <laughs> I was going to, and then I thought, no, I want to, I want to just keep going. Yeah, all four minutes. No, I'm just kidding. I don't have a way to fade it out. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. That's uh, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, that's that was really good, man. Uh, but I almost wish you hadn't uh told me in advance that it was the blue skies, you know, thing, because right, right, then. Because as, as soon as it kicked in, I'm like, oh, yeah, I do. I absolutely hear that. Yeah. You know, it, it's – and it's – again, it's not I, – I meant – I made a joke about getting sued. I mean, it's not at all um, close enough to the original that I would be in any danger of that. And, of course, the the, con- the harmonic content and structure is all completely different. But yeah. um, that's what music is, right? It's it's not like something that can be created that's completely original. Um, even the, the Schoenbergs of the world that are doing the 12-tone stuff. I mean, all that is just – it's all the same Western music that the 24 inharmonic notes that we've got already. And so, right. um, you know, I, I think that's almost like a, um, an homage really, rather than stealing. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we've all heard the quote, great artist, um, good artists, steal, uh, borrow great artist, steal something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, it was never my, my intention to steal someone's melody. It was really just, this fits, this is great for who Tannis is. And the fact that it, it sounds like this thing out there that we've heard, um, just makes her more recognizable to us. Yeah. Well. Yeah. No, I, I, I dig it. I mean, I thought, I, I think it's well done. I don't know enough about composition and music theory to give it a, a full critique, but uh, give me, give me a week and I'll be able to do that. Uh, Keep that Udemy course and you'll be, you'll be on track. I'm doing it, man. $10. They had that course for $10. I'm, I'm in. How to be Nick Thacker for $10. How to be. Funny is, I'm not even the guy that made that course. It's just weird. You should tell. I know it was just so <laughs> random. <laughs> All right. Okay, man. Um, well, I'm gonna. I, they're gonna. I'm gonna have links to sonatascribe.com uh, and nickfacker.com and a whole bunch of other related stuff in the show notes. Uh, I'll have to go find half that stuff because Nick didn't bother filling out the intake form. I did not. I. I, I I did not bother at all. I thought I could bother. This is the downside. I don't like to be bothered, so I'm not going to do that. (laughs) This is the downside to interviewing people you know well. Is they're like, oh, he knows all this shit. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I I knew. There's my E. I got my E for the. Why don't you just copy paste the uh, the the previous show notes from from when you and I talked and just add some Sonata? Whole new system, man. It's a whole new system now. I'm doing everything in Trello now. I have. I have to go back and uh, find all the old show notes and import them into here in order to do stuff like that. Wow. You know, it sounds like a huge pain in the ass. I'm it so is, sorry you have to deal with that. It is a huge pain. But uh, for you, anything for you. All right. That's kind of what I figured you'd say. <laughs> I figured you'd do it anyway. All right. Well, look, uh, thank you so much for being on, man. Now, you hang out. Uh, Nick and I are going to hang out. Everybody watching and listening. Uh, you are right now probably hearing that groovy thing so you may dance in place as well and on the other side of this break you're going to get industry news all kinds of stuff you're going to find fascinating and useful including probably an ad for Sonata Inscribe I'm just saying it's probably out hopefully hopefully alright we'll see you all just after this break and otherwise next time hear your book the way it was meant to be heard with a fully custom soundtrack based on your material. An album of music that perfectly fits your characters, your settings. Hear your book today. Sonatainscribe.com well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Nick Thacker. It's always good to talk to Nick. 
Nick, uh, I give Nick a lot of credit for getting me into the part of the business that I'm enjoying most, which is writing archaeological thrillers. Um, if not for Nick, I would not. I don't think I would have ever tried that. Uh, but now, I'm up seven books in this series. As a matter of fact, the newest book, The God Extinction, is available for pre-order right now on uh, Amazon. The best way to find it is to go to bookstoread.com slash god extinction one word all lowercase i don't think i don't think the case matters actually but uh give that a shot if you're into uh thrillers you're into archaeological thrillers dan brown type stuff steve barry steve barry who's been on the show and will be on the show again he's got uh i got an interview coming up with him in the next few weeks um you may not see it in the next few weeks (laughs) i'm talking to him in the next few weeks but uh go check out his previous interview but check out uh, God Extinction. Let me know what you think. Uh, it is on pre-order, so you're going to have to wait till March 22nd to get it. But right now, you get it for $2.99 instead of $4.99. Um, and I do raise the price the day after the book launches. Which <clears throat> brings me to some of my... Uh, th- this is the part of the show, if you haven't figured this out by now, the format has changed slightly uh, from uh, earlier versions of the show. Here's what the new format is all about. I like to give you the interview... And get you into that as quickly as possible. And then uh, this is where I will fill you in on the things that are going on in the wordslinger world. Uh, you know, talk about conferences, talk about technique, talk about uh, marketing, anything that I'm doing that I think might be useful to you. <clears throat> I just got back, by the way, from the San Francisco uh, Writers Conference in, of all places, San Francisco. They may throw that somewhere else next year. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I really enjoyed it. Now, this here's what's rough. Now I'm gonna I want to be completely open and honest about the experiences I'm having as I'm as I'm out there. Um, now I'm a, I attended this conference on behalf of Draft to Digital, of course. Uh, but the great thing for me is I get to double dip. So Draft to Digital is covering my travel expenses, hotel, and all that for attending these conferences. I do some speaking engagements and panels and things. Um, but I also get to attend all these panels myself. I get to absorb all this information just like uh, any of the other attending authors would. <clears throat> and these have been really good for me. Uh, if you're not doing conferences, I would recommend you start. If, you, if they're uh, prohibitively expensive for you, I get it. Uh, you, you might want to start putting aside a budget to attend conferences. To see if you can find one near you. <clears throat> there's, there's usually one in every major city. At some point, start uh, getting online, Googling uh, conferences and cities that you know you can get to um, and start start going to some of these. Um, <clears throat> they are they're incredibly valuable. And I, I, I never used to quite believe that until I started going regularly and where they're valuable is it's less about. So y- you make a lot of connections at these things, which is good. You learn a lot from the panels and that sort of thing. It really is more about the connections. It's more about connecting with other authors. Uh, If you are looking for a traditional path, it's a chance to connect with um, agents and editors and publishers. You can meet industry folks like uh, me and Dan Wood were at San Francisco. Um, There was also, you know, uh, representatives from Bublish. Bublish? Bublish, sorry. Uh, (laughs) From from Smashwords, from... uh, you know, several other uh, vendors were there. So, <clears throat> vendors and services. So, you get to learn about new services in the industry uh, that might be helpful to you. 
and you also get to uh, gather a bunch of materials that could be useful to you. But it's also just good for inspiring you to uh, get get energized and get some momentum going. Momentum, by the way, is kind of, I think that's more or less becoming my word of the year. I don't typically do the word of the year thing, but I think my theme this year may have to be momentum. It's come up a lot. A lot of things are happening uh, that uh, require momentum, that are changing my perspective on uh, momentum. I was asked in an interview recently if I believed in writer's block. Uh, and I, I said a few things that I, I do absolutely agree, uh, I do absolutely believe when it comes to writer's block. Um, I don't believe in writer's block per se. I, mean, I, know, I know what people mean when they say that, so I'm not being obtuse. I just, I believe writer's block, I didn't say this quite this way in the interview, I wish I had. I believe writer's block is a momentum problem. You can get past writer's block by forcing yourself to take the first steps. Sometimes you're locked up on ideas. Sometimes you are uh, uninspired. You know, inspiration is something you have to go out and grab by the uh, bits <laughs> and drag home with you. Um, you can't wait for inspiration to come to you. You got to go find inspiration. You find it by sitting down and deciding you're gonna you're gonna do the work. Even if you're writing gibberish and garbage to start. Uh, your best path forward is to start writing because once the momentum is started, it's easier to keep things going. It's easier to improve. Uh, so that's my advice on writer's block. Momentum also comes into play with going out and seeking sources for inspiration and energy. Um, you know, I have my dead zones. I have my little low energy zones uh, that I enter every now and then. And it's it's really a bummer. And I so I do understand like the idea of writer's block, I do understand it. Uh, I just, I've developed strategies for writing through it. Um, I don't think the, my writing itself has suffered, but my dedication to the cause, we'll say, sometimes has suffered. For over, 20, for over 2018, um, I started the year by publishing a Dan Kotler book. I immediately started the next Dan Kotler book. But then sort of lost my initiative on it, and I wrote three other books in that time. Uh, one of which was released as a nonfiction book. Um, the two fiction novels are uh, sitting, and uh, they'll be edited, and they'll be turned into something later. I want to expand on those. Now, I was still productive. I was still doing the work. Uh, but I was feeling disillusioned about, not not really about my characters or my universe, but just sort of questioning like is this what i want to do is it what i want to be known for um do i have the energy to keep going uh on this and what turned me around was after about a year of of having started that that new cotler book and not finishing it very unusual for me <laughs> especially now but i i attended i in that time i attended several conferences but the one that really uh helped bring some things home for me was attending the 20 books Vegas conference, uh, put on by Michael Anderley and Craig Martell and, uh, that bunch, the 20 books bunch. Um, and there I, I got to, that conference was much more geared towards me and my community, my indie author community, probably your indie author community. I meet a ton of authors. I mean, I meet authors of all stripes at these conferences. Some of them are mega bestsellers. Some of them are just, you know, they're doing very, they're, they're making their livelihood from the work. Um, 
this conference was one of the few I've attended that actually had a, a well-established presence of authors that, you know, are in the community that I identify with. They're my tribe. I hate using that term these days. It's been so overused, but they are. They're my tribe. They're my family. They're my community. Um, they recognized me, you know, where I didn't have to introduce myself all the time. People knew who I was. They knew I was with draft to digital uh, but surprisingly, more people recognized me uh, from Wordslinger Podcast. So, and hello to you, uh, to all of you, and I love and appreciate your all your support. <laughs> I love all of you. Um, so, what was great about that conference? <clears throat> it's hard to put a finger on any one thing. Uh, it wasn't the environment. You know, Vegas is Vegas. Um, I'm okay with Vegas. I'm not in love with Vegas. Um, the, uh, you know, the hotel, <laughs> I developed like a 60 pack a day habit just from breathing the air in the hotel, uh, cause it was just cigarette smoke all the time. Uh, but what was great was to, you know, to meet up with all these other authors and to hear the, the speakers. And in particular, I loved listening to, um, uh, Dean Wesley Smith and Christine Catherine Rush. Uh, they are the type of authors that I grew up wanting to be, more or less. You know, I wanted to be like an Orson Scott Card or, or someone like that. That back when I still wanted to write sci-fi, I still appreciate sci-fi. I appreciate, in particular, Card's early work in sci-fi. Uh, I never quite identified with the, the authors who were best known, the Nebula and Hugo Award folks uh and they never quite clicked with me i don't know why they never did and when i went to the the uh, nebula awards it was the same feeling i never quite clicked with that group they were never my tribe uh they never felt quite like my tribe they might be yours uh and, that, and i'm not criticizing i'm just saying that i never got into a comfort zone with with that type of author uh, I liked Orson Scott Card, but I, I didn't quite click with him either. <laughs> I'd love to meet the guy. Uh, he is kind of on my bucket list because he was the inspiration for all this. He's the guy, you know, when I read Ender's Game, I realized that it was written by a human being. And I realized that, you know, I was a human being and therefore I could write books as well. And that really put me on a, a path. Um, but Dean Wesley Smith and I have, uh, we share some philosophical points of view i know not everyone likes him um when they don't always like his advice and uh sometimes you just got to find the advice that works for you and you run with it but talk you know talking to him meeting him uh, i interviewed him and uh, christine and i talked to both of them at the conference and i talked to a few other folks that i admired and and liked um and found inspirational and while at that conference it just sort of hit me that i was that the thrillers I was writing really were my work. They really are something I love and enjoy. And that, that brought me back to them with renewed vigor. We'll say, um, I finished, um, uh, Antarctica, Antarctic forgery at, um, at that conference, finished it, got the first draft done, sort of created my, my current new, that was the roots of my new, uh, editing process started there uh which has been refined since then immediately started the next book while i was there uh stepping maze and um that's the way that that happened and you know i that was 
now four books ago. <laughs> I'm working on a fifth one. So that's, I have seven books in the series. When I got to Vegas, um, I only had uh, three. Three? Yeah, three. Four. <laughs> I had four. Uh, so so I've written three since then. I've got a fourth, uh, a, a, an eighth book, I will say, in progress. Um, and the new book, the seventh book, is, um, I think, really good. I mean, they're all really good. They're getting better, too. Uh, so the point of all this is the conferences can be a great source of re- a renewal of energy for you and momentum. Uh, get in, meet people, talk and discuss, get excited, get so excited about the ideas you're having while you're at these conferences that you end up skipping panels so that you can go back to your hotel room and write, <laughs> get up early and, uh, knock out a chapter before you go, um, hobnobble people, spend the time you spent money to be there. So go, go, uh, meet with everyone you can spend as much time as you can. As they like to say, you can sleep next week. Um, but go and, uh, and experience this because it is energizing. It is very beneficial. Um, I did not get to go to the final Smarter Artist Summit, unfortunately. I had a little snafu at the airport. Uh, I I was telling people I was illegally detained. I still feel that way. <laughs> the whole plane was illegally detained, in my opinion, because we weren't allowed off. Uh, while they went through the, they, they screwed up, um, and their passenger manifest was wrong. And, uh, they made us sit on the tarmac for two and a half hours while they figured it out. And we were not allowed to leave, uh, to get up, to take a restroom break, to have anything to drink. And meanwhile, they hung out in the front, gabbing at each other and laughing and cutting up and drinking their sodas and basically just screwing us over um, <laughs> so this is america uh there are rules about this sort of thing this sort of thing has happened before so i happen to know that um they cannot do this legally so but what am i going to do i'm not going to make a fuss probably who knows or maybe i will who knows uh anyway that's a whole other thing <laughs> and i'm over it <laughs> it took me a couple of days to kind of recover but i'm over it um and it really does make a day long, by the way, when, uh, you know, because between that and delays and other issues, like a three and a half hour flight stretched into a 12 hour day somehow. And uh, that just should never happen. Um, all right. So all that's going on. Um, I hope you uh, I hope you are intrigued by Nick Thacker's uh, Sonata and Scribe thing. Um, go and check that out. Sonata and Scribe dot com. Um, I am, uh, he's, he's building a, a, a soundtrack for me as well, and it's evolving. Um, I really enjoy it. I mean, I really think it's awesome. Um, assets like that can be pretty cool. I tried to talk to uh, Joanna Penn about this idea, and I think she was locked in on, um, she, if I, I'm trying to recall exactly what she said. We were at Nink. I told her about this idea. Um, in her opinion, nobody does this. Nobody's going to listen to um, your uh, your track while they're reading. That's just not going to happen. That's that's where she was locked in. And I, I was trying to explain and getting nowhere <laughs> that it's not about reading uh, 
alongside this soundtrack, this score. It's not about that. It's actually about um, using the score as yet another marketing tool. So if you can, so what happens here is Nick will help you do this. You can put these tracks on Spotify with your book cover, you know, a special cover. You're going to want it to look like a CD cover or whatever. Um, and um, notes about where the track's from, the you know, notes about the composer, notes about the author. You know, you've got all this opportunity to, uh, to get that out there. And people who enjoy film scores may come across it, and then that can lead to discovering your work. You can also use that music for any promotional pieces you do in video. So you can take that track and cut it with, alongside maybe you are, you know, advertising your book, you know, that. you could do a book trailer. I haven't seen that uh, used effectively, really, but they're out there. Uh, they do exist. Some people swear by them. Um, if you did a quick ad on Facebook or, or elsewhere, a video ad, uh, which are very effective, you can, uh, you can have some music to cut in alongside that and build some drama into it. So there's a lot of ways to use this, and most of them are aimed more at attracting readers than at accompanying the, uh, the book as you read. So I feel a little bad that I wasn't able to convey that, um, but, you know, Joanna's great, and she was busy <laughs> and quite distracted. Uh, and this was, you know, we were having this discussion over, over dinner at the, uh, little end banquet. I think she was pretty much spent by then. So, uh, I'm going to keep working on her, but I think this is a great idea. I think it is a great tool. If you can afford to, uh, have these tracks made, then I think you should go ahead and, uh, and reach out and do that because it's an asset that you can, you can get a lot of use out of. I, I love investing in assets that I can repurpose and reuse. That's my, that's always been, uh, one of my methods. Um, and speaking of methods, so I am, uh, I've been kicking around strategies for launches. Um, I want to share some of this with you. I'm still kind of figuring a few things out on my own. I've always had certain launch strategies, but what I'm, I'm in a, a mo an era of refining, uh, rediscovering, rethinking and refining. Um, so what I've been doing is using, uh, pre-orders. Now, right now, my Dan Cotler books are exclusive to Amazon. That will change. I'm, my aim, my plan, unless I decided to uh, take a new tack, the uh, the strategy right now is to write 12 books in Dan Cotler's world. And once I have 12, start releasing those um, at the rate of maybe a book a month wide and basically doing a whole new launch. So put I'm going to try to put the book on pre-order at all the other storefronts, same way I do for Amazon, uh, push it out to my mailing list, which is largely Amazon, but some some do complain that they wish they could get it on other readers. That's a good problem to have. Uh, do cross promotions with other authors and build this as the first time anywhere other than Amazon. Right? The first time on Barnes Noble, the first time on Apple iBooks. Um, and the first time on Kobo, and just really push that button, really push it out there, do some advertising if I need to. Uh, I, I generally these days try to avoid advertising books to sell. I try to use advertising to build my mailing list, and uh, that's been very effective for me. So 
uh, it's a strategy I, I highly recommend because my mailing list has carried me through, has brought me more sales than advertising ever did. <laughs> so, so my launch strategy right now is once the book is finished, and I mean, I've got the manuscript is, is completed. First thing I do is send it to my street team. Um, and my street team helped me to uh, read and edit, fix things that I may have missed in my edit sessions. So I think I've talked about this before, but my process for editing now is um, I write a scene. The next day I export that scene as a Word document from Scrivener. I, I go through and do my rewrites. I read and edit that scene by hand, you know, manually. Then I run spelling and grammar check from Word, um, correct what I find. Save that, uh, import it into Grammarly, use Grammarly's assistant to help me find things I may have missed. Um, I end up skipping a lot of Grammarly suggestions because they're, it's not always right. So you want to make sure you're using you know this editing tool, your brain, uh, as much as you are software. But once I've got that done, I export that and it attaches dot .edited to it. And then I take that back into Scrivener and I delete the original scene. Okay. I probably didn't have to go back through all that again. You've probably heard this before, but that's how I edit as I go. <clears throat> and then once I've got the final word, uh, final document finished, I spit it out as a word document. I, uh, uh, actually now I discovered I can import or export the, the, uh, entire manuscript directly from, uh, Scrivener to Vellum, which is what I use for my, my layout. Uh, but if you're using something else like, you know, draft to digital's, uh, conversion tool and their, their layout templates or, um, you know, one of the others, I won't mention, there's one that's very popular that I think is an awful piece of software that no one should use. So I won't mention it, but you may be using it. Uh, <laughs> but whatever, whatever you're doing to do your layout, um, you can just spit it out as word if you need to do that. Once I've got the thing in vellum and I, get all the pieces in place. Uh, I generate all my files. I take those to book funnel and then I give my street team a link to download the book in any format they choose so that they can help me find any, um, any additional typos or gaffes, you know, mix ups, you know, any, I used the wrong spelling for a name or I'm, I mentioned so-and-so in chapter three and they disappeared, you know, whatever. Um, and then, um, uh, I have my typo reporter on my website, a very cool tool I built uh, that lets the readers um, drop in what they find, typo-wise, uh, any edits that they find, and then I get a spreadsheet of all that, and I can go through and make all my edits at one time. So, very tight process. It's getting tighter as I go. Um, once I've got the the thing uh, is aimed at the street team, though, I go ahead and make my announcements to my list for the pre-order. I set up the pre-order. I like to discount the book um, to $2.99 from my typical $4.99. I am considering raising my my standard prices. Um, I've heard I've talked to some folks who are who are doing well with $6.99. I'm willing to make another two bucks. And uh, so once it's up for pre-order, um, I start pinging my list about once a week. But I don't just spam them with, hey, go pre-order. I try to give them content that they appreciate and enjoy. And then I work the pre-order mention into that content. So I'll write a short essay about something I've researched for a book. And 
Um, the uh, and then I'll say, by the way, I got a new book on pre-order, and you can get it here for two ninety nine, and it goes up to four ninety nine the day after it releases. So if you haven't already, go check it out. Um, I'm seeing a lot of traffic on that, you know, and I have a big list. I've got around thirty five thousand to forty thousand people on my mailing list, so that does help. Uh, engagement is pretty good with that list as well, but I'm seeing a lot of, uh, most of my, most of my sales come from pinging that list. Uh, others might come from a little bit of social media push, uh, some word of mouth, uh, some organic traffic from Amazon. Uh, but largely I can, I can pretty well correlate the, uh, click through from my emails to sales well enough to, to know that it's working. So, uh, if you've had any question about whether or not to build a mailing list, I encourage you to do so. It is going to always be your, your best marketing tool. Um, and you can building a mailing list does take time and a lot of effort. Uh, but you can start by just, you know, creating a free MailChimp account and then emailing people you are connected to to ask them to sign up for your mailing list. Don't just add them. Don't just start spamming them. But say, look, I, I write books. You may not own this, or maybe you do. And uh, would you, you know, I would really like it if you would get on the mailing list and share this with as many people as you can to get them on the list. Offer them something for free. Give them a free short story. If you go to kevintomlinson.com right now, there is a um, there's a free short story called The Janai Sigil which is tied to my Dan Kotler universe. And uh, you get that free when you sign up to the uh, list. You can't get that story anywhere else or any other way unless someone steals it from me. <laughs> so that is a top of funnel offer that helps people get on your list. Uh, so there's a lot about that. If you are interested, if you have questions, uh, ping, go ahead and ping me on the show notes page for this episode or any, or hit me up in con the you go to wordslingerpodcast.com hit contact and email me any questions and if you want i can do an entire episode on this kind of thing on uh, mailing lists um uh, maybe get a guest on who can help talk about that uh, i'd be happy to focus on that i know that was a big question i had when i started out it's like everyone was telling me to get a mailing list no one was telling me how to actually make it happen uh, so I, I try to give you at least some breadcrumbs for that, and then I will happily expand on that if you ask me. Um, so do that. Um, once the book has been announced to my my um, people, uh, <laughs> I uh, I you know I do that periodic ping, and uh, I I ask every time I ask, please share this. Would you please share this with people you know who love to read this kind of book, or you know friends and family? E email it to them, send them in social media, and that way, I've got them out evangelizing for that book. The uh, the thing that I was discussing yesterday with some other authors was uh, essentially it was this idea of. Um, how to use book bubs, uh, book bub promotions effectively. Now I kind of skipped out on book bub for a while. I have a thing. I, it's, <laughs> and maybe it's pride, uh, but actually I kind of dislike the idea of having to beg someone to take my money. You know, uh, I want to be able to go in and and pay you to promote my book if that's what we're if that's the transaction we're after. I don't want you to come back to me and say just not a good fit for us right now. See, that feels like a gatekeeper. That's why indie publishing in the first place. They don't want a gatekeeper. 
I wanted that kind of thing, I'd start pinging agents and publishers. I'd start sending query letters. So I don't like the idea of asking someone for permission to uh, promote my work. So, And I realize that's a business model of theirs. That's It works well for them, and it is uh, probably one of the better ways to handle that sort of thing. But, um, you know, I, I it's still, that's my thing. <laughs> you may feel different. Um, but I do use BookBub. Um, I've, I'm in for one now. Uh, and they may not approve this one, uh, but I, I kind of figure they will. They've, they've, you know, I've had pretty good luck with them in the past. Uh, but the way, I, the way I've been asking around and I've heard some strategies, but what I'm going to do, and I got, I stole part of this from Nick Thacker. I'm always stealing from Nick Thacker. Um, when I get this, when the next book bub I get, uh, and I've done this in the past too, but, uh, I do the free book bub. I do. I like to do this cheaper list, uh, cheaper reach. And what I do is um, I set the price to go free on the the day of the book bub. The day after the book bub, I have the price go to ninety nine cents. Um, I haven't done this part yet, but I may. I'm planning to start using uh, the Kindle countdown deals. Which does make it tricky, because I know that sometimes people get screwed over by this. <laughs> so, uh, it does make it tricky. But I thought, I'll do a Kindle countdown and set the price for zero to start. And then uh, have it increment up to $0.99 cents right away. And then uh, increment up from there over a week or a seven-day period. And uh, back to full price. So... The reason I'm doing this is you get the initial bunch of folks who come in for the free book, and uh, that's that's the promotion. The problem I always have with that is the, the, you get a lot of folks who are just about the free books. They don't give a crap about you as an author. They're never gonna they're never going to become a lead. They're never going to join your mailing list. They're never going to buy another book from you. They're never going to buy a book. Uh, so I, I I'm willing to give X number of copies away for free in 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 the interest of getting the book up higher in its uh, sales ranking, basically, or it, it, it charting it high for the free list. I've been number one on that free list uh, a number of times. Um, but then, by switching the price immediately afterward, there's a little bit of component of greed here, I would admit. I like to make money. But by switching to a price and especially something a, a reasonable price immediately after uh what you end up with is the people who uh come in for the free book fall off the people who come in because they're interested stick around the most people are going to be willing to go ahead and pay 99 cents for a book so they they go ahead and pop 99 cents uh talking with an author one of the authors in a group I'm involved in he said, you know, on day two, he got 7,000 downloads of his book. Um, let's just assume that only half those people would have paid 99 cents for it. That's $3,500 that day. So I am okay with that. <laughs> and uh, when those people buy, you go up on a whole other list. And you get you start ranking in your categories. And you start ranking in the overall store. Um, so... This strategy um, has its has its drawbacks and has its challenges, 
and its risks, but I think it's probably a better strategy overall. And I like the countdown deal aspect because I can step up the price uh, over time. And I, basically, it's like qualifying those, quote, leads over over a span of time. So the, the people who buy later in the game are actually higher qualified leads. Because <laughs> they're coming in for the right reasons. They're coming in because they, they like that idea. And they want to read more. They're intrigued by the book. Um, and uh, they're willing to pay for it. Those are qualified leads. So when you hear that term bandied about, that's one of the things. Now, it's difficult because... Usually when you say qualified lead, it means you have some way to reach that group later. Um, they are leads in that they are purchasing and interested in my work. And I have calls to action in the backs of each of my books to try to get them, nurture them onto my mailing list. And if they're truly there because they like the story and they like my writing, um, there's a good chance they'll get on that list to get the free short story. So... That is, um, that's the basic strategy that I'm, I'm kicking around. I've done it in the past without the countdown deal. Uh, just set the prices manually. Had calendars, uh, calendar reminders to remind me to up the price. And, and I did a pretty big solid leap between 99 cents and full price uh, within like a week. Um, enjoyed quite a profitable month. <laughs> so, uh, something to be said for that. Anyway, you may have a different strategy. You may have heard different strategies. You may know something about this that makes this an alarming proposal. So if you do, uh, let me know. I, I Every now and then I pitch ideas like this thinking I've got it all figured out. And someone comes along and says, yeah, you didn't think about the fact that BookBub will hire an assassin to, uh, to come after you. <laughs> or something similar. Uh, that's probably never going to happen. But... Um, there are, are other risks, you know, some, you don't want to piss off the uh, services that you rely on. For example, I don't rely on BookBub, So if, if something I do violates their terms of service and they get mad at me and never give me another, it's not going to hurt my feelings too much. Um, and I can probably resolve it. And I know all those folks, so I can probably, I can probably fix it. Um, so I have a little bit of mitigated risk. Anyway, that's, those are some of the strategies launch-wise. Um, that's not necessarily a launch strategy. It would be very difficult, although I think they will promote uh, pre-order books. I have not tried that yet, actually. Um, other things that I'm experimenting with on the discovery side, uh, Readsy has announced their discovery tool. And uh, let me see if I can find the URL for you. If you can go to, it's readsy.com discovery. Um, it's a $50 process. You submit your book to be reviewed. I haven't quite got this figured out yet, but the way I'm understanding it, <laughs> you put your, your book in, uh, for their reviewers for $50 and, uh, then it can be reviewed by their audience. And, uh, that helps with discoverability. 50 bucks is a low risk. So I'm trying it out. Um, and we'll see what happens. We'll, we'll see how it goes. I will report back to you. One of the frustrations for me is that I had to set a release date for the book in the future instead of right now. Uh, so I have to wait another six days before the book is available, but I'm okay with that. Um, so we'll see how that goes and I will let you know. I put uh, stepping maze in 
50 bucks investment is, is, uh, is I think going to be worthwhile. Love Reedsy, uh, almost as much as I love draft to digital and, uh, you know, the good guys, Ricardo Fayette has been on this show. If you haven't heard that episode, go look that up. Uh, good guys, great, great tools. Um, almost an end to end, uh, service for authors i mean they're, they're missing distribution uh, i'm kind of hoping they don't do that <laughs> we'd rather partner with you ricardo uh ricardo's going to be on this show again too to talk about this very service so and i may bump that up in the uh schedule a little but other than that uh we're, we've reached the end i've probably gone over uh my intended timeline but I'm glad you stuck it out with me. I hope you got something useful out of both the interview with Nick Thacker and my rambling diatribe here at the end. Um, if you are if you are getting something useful, let me know. Uh, the best way to let me know is to go onto iTunes and review the show. Leave a review for the Wordslinger podcast. Just go into iTunes and search Wordslinger podcast, and then you know there are little prompts on there that you you should be able to find a way to leave a review there. Uh, that helps a lot. Helps people find me and find the show, and hopefully learn from the show and share it with your friends. Go out and uh, you know tell people on uh, social media all about Wordslinger Podcast. Give them a link to wordslingerpodcast.com. Tell them to tune in. Tell them what you're getting. But um, I'd love it if you would email me or something. Ping me on social media. Leave something in the show notes, uh, the comments on the show notes on this this uh, episode. And just tell me what you're getting out of it, you know. Tell me what you're enjoying and what you wish I would do, <laughs> whatever you want. Um, but it helps me a lot. It's uh, it's it's more than just ego. It actually helps me justify the amount of time and effort and energy that I put into these episodes uh, each week. You can also support the show on Patreon. I, I don't push that enough. I, um, I probably should push it more, but there is a link to Patreon at the top of wordslingerpodcast.com. Click on that. And uh, you can throw a buck or two my my way each month. Uh, every little bit helps. I use that money to pay for hosting services, to uh, buy equipment, to buy myself a cup of coffee before the show, whatever. <laughs> so that's it. I'm going to wrap it up here. And uh, I hope you have a wonderful weekend ahead. Um, take care of yourselves out there. we still got a bunch of cold happening in the U.S., uh, I don't know where you are in the world, but I'm, I'm sure it's chilly there, too. Uh, but take care of yourselves. God bless each and every one of you. I'll see you all next time. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Wordslinger Podcast. Now, you can support this show by visiting wordslingerpodcast.com. That's where you're going to find back episodes, books by me, and links to anything and everything Wordslinger. And be sure to subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, and anywhere else fine podcasts are sold. I'm Kevin Tomlinson. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.